Is your soul stilled? Is it stilled yet? How about now? Sometimes we tell ourselves to do stuff and then we don't give ourselves enough time to do it. <laughs> this morning is going to be a fantastic morning because Jesus is here, because the Spirit of God is resting on you, in you, motivating you to do what God has called you to do. Not because I'm up here, not because of what we sang, it's because of Jesus in you. It's this idea of shining like stars. This series that we conclude today, this four-week series that we've been in Philippians, and to be quite honest, I could go for another four weeks. I could go for another four weeks because this is one of my favorite, favorite parts of Scripture. It's such an encouraging book. It's such a space to come to that I have created moments in my life where I just come back and just read through the whole entire book. God's given that, this, this book for me, I think, to remind me what, what God's doing in my life, especially in moments where I forget, and I forget way too often. As a matter of fact, my wife and I, when we got married, um, we chose parts of Philippians 2 to be read at our wedding, and it's a, it's a passage that I go to often, especially when we are struggling Oh, wait, yeah, wait, we struggle, argue, get into fights. Yeah, we, we do all of that. Today, we are in Philippians 4. Specifically, Paul's exhortation to the church in Philippi after getting done with expressing his great, great love for them, his great, great care for them, his great hope for them, genuine guidance and a repetitive reminder of how to respond to the personal attacks that are coming from outside the congregation and the opposition and struggle that is happening within the congregation. Our 
series has not just been a few scripture grabs. Our series was really crafted that above all, as we pursue Jesus, that our lives would shine individually and that Lake Avenue Church would shine like stars in this world. Philippians 4, as is our tradition, please stand for the reading of God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Spirit of the living God, you have given us these words. Paul wrote them down on pages that we might hear you, that we might see you more clearly, we might follow you. So God, in your mercy and grace, would you allow these words to come off of the page and alive in our experience like never before, for we pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, you may be seated. I really do pray that you've been with us through this series and you've been taking notes along the way. And if you have, you've noted these previous three sermons that are, um, that are on our website now. You can go look at those. But, but, but Jeff and Matthew have led us in a fantastic way to kind of understand the central parts of what this book has been about. I also want to remind us of what this is because we can't really get to this part that we're at yet without understanding where we've been. Paul, what, what, what Paul has been saying to this beautiful little church of believers in a city named after Philip, who is the father of Alexander the Great. Week one, more and more. Our first week, Jeff shared about Paul's prayer for the church at, 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 at Philippi. Saying this, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Jeff helped us see the connection between what Paul was praying for the church and what Christ was wanting for his church. That is, that love would abound more and more. That we would know that love in more knowledge. That we would know that love in greater insight. Jeff said that love without knowledge or knowledge without love is cute. He said that love without depth of insight or depth of insight without love is without power. When we increase in more and more love in Christ, 
We will shine God's love with both power and wisdom in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in the nation, in the world. You think that's too lofty? Week two. Jeff led us in understanding Philippians 2, 12 through 18, which says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ and I did not run in labor or run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. When Paul writes to do everything without grumbling or arguing, he's calling us to a bigger vision than the current issues that face our lives. To draw upon the humility that comes in connecting our attitude to that of Jesus Christ, which is in chapter 2. To step intentionally into our lives, trusting that God's better is better than anything that we can imagine or attain. So when we're working out our salvation, God calls us to love better, more deeply, more widely as we obey and we do so without grumbling or arguing. But why? Why would we follow in these footsteps? Why would we do this? Last week, Matthew led us through Philippians 3. Philippians 3 says this, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. My Lord, for the sake of whom I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And I so loved what Matthew did with the scriptures last week. Partially because I love the math part, and believe me, I'm not going to go back and do the math stuff for y'all. But even more, he impressed upon us what Paul was trying to get across to the Philippian church. Whatever you count as important to you has to be held up to the value of knowing Jesus. 
Whatever it is you count as important in your life has to be held up to the value of knowing Jesus. And when we do that, we realize that everything else that we can accomplish, everything else that we hold is important, everything else that we do in our life is trash in comparison to knowing Jesus. The suppressing value of knowing Jesus is so much greater than anything that we can do. We need to settle into that and not into everything else that we're getting after. Everything. Paul prays for the Philippians more and more love in the face of opposition so that they will shine like stars in the universe without grumbling because they know the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. And he prays that for us too. That we, that we would know more and more, that we would love more and more in the face of the things that oppose us. That which is making us wonder from outside of the church. The struggles that we have inside of our own congregations that we would love more and more in that opposition so that we will shine like stars in the universe and that we would do so without grumbling because we, we know, we know the surpassing value of Jesus the Christ. All of that leads us to our passage here today. All of that leads us to this particular moment, this final exhortation that Paul gives. And this isn't something special in Philippians. Paul ends his letters with this type of exhortation, and it actually has a pattern. It goes like this. He gives a series of imperatives, things that we have to do, right? This series of imperatives. And then he gives a statement of peace, and then a greeting, and then a benediction, You can look at most of the letters of Paul and you will find that pattern in them. But in this letter, he shifts it up just a little bit. He starts with a series of imperatives and then he gives peace. And then he gives another series of imperatives and then he gives peace again. Then he leads on to this whole bit about thanksgiving, about the gift that he's received while he's been in prison. And then he gives a greeting and then he gives a benediction. Paul loves this church and they love him. And it's killing him that they are struggling inside the church and that they are facing opposition from outside the church. They have received Jesus. They have stood firm in understanding the gospel. But their struggle is tarnishing their witness in the world. As one author puts it, Paul's concern is for the gospel. But in Philippians, he's not talking about the doctrinal accuracy and preaching of the gospel, but it's lived out expression in the world. To put it another way, Paul is addressing how they live out their understanding and their connection to the gospel. Philippians is not a book like Romans or Galatians where Paul is setting straight some misguided theology. 
The theme in Romans is that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for anyone who would believe. And in it, he lays out the doctrine of salvation because of the tension that is happening between the Gentiles and the Jewish Christians in Rome. In Galatians, Paul addresses a distortion of the gospel, addressing the gospel, justification, and the law, and encouraging them to live freely from the law, saying in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free so that you might go out and live together in unity and live together doing the gospel. He's, he's redirecting that distortion. But Paul in Philippians is encouraging the church to center their lived expression of faith on loving others because of the surpassing value of Jesus and in that obedience shine like stars. All of that leads us to the final statement, his final salvo, his heart you can hear bursting forth and dancing for this church. One of my favorite movies is a movie from now a a bit of ways back, at least in my life. It's called Remember the Titans. It's a football movie, which... that's not my that's not my normal go-to in terms of movies but it, it it's a good it's a good film and as I was thinking through the book of Philippians and I had read it a few different times coming into this and actually when we were when I was looking at this last part I was like wow it really it really reads in similar ways and and this is what I'm talking about the movie itself is a, is a football movie set in uh, the early 70s, kind of coming out of civil rights. And you've got integration happening in schools in Northern Virginia. And you've got this black school and this white school that come together on a football team and they set the, the black head coach as the, as the head coach as opposed to the white coach who had been there. And not only do you see struggle and opposition from outside the football team, you see struggle and opposition from inside the football team. Y'all see where I'm going? In the movie, you see them struggle with what's going on outside and struggle with what's going on inside. And when, when they finally start to break, when they finally start to get it, is when they start to love each other and care about each other and see each other and allow each other to affect one another so that their love grew more and more inside the football team. And you know who started to love the football team? The people outside the football team team started to love the football team because of what they were doing. There's a moment in the movie where it's the regional game. It's not the championship game. It's not the final game. It's the regional game, right? The one before the championship. And the refs are throwing flags and doing all this stuff. And you see the 
the white assistant coach kind of get what's going on. The fix is in, right? And coach calls the players together. He says, they're not going to let us win this game. But we are going to win this game. He says, because of who we are, you are going to go out there. And we are going to do this together. And they step out on the football field. And his final words to them are these. Leave no doubt about who we are. Leave no doubt about who we are. When we step out of this sanctuary, when you step out of your house, when you step into this world, Jesus is saying to you and I, leave no doubt about who you are in this world, that people will see who you are because of how much you love, because of how much you know the surpassing value of Jesus in your life. You have got to step out and leave no doubt that you are one of Jesus' followers. Into all of that, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. See, you can't get to this final peace without understanding how we get to this final peace. Because if I just say rejoice in the Lord always, you're going to be like, well, I don't know. I have all this other stuff in my life that I'm not sure whether or not I can rejoice. But the Lord has done so much for you. The Lord has called you to so much. The Lord has given so much. God died for you on a cross and raised his son so that you might know the absolute goodness of following Jesus, that surpassing value that Matthew talked about last week. All of that is so that you might shine like stars and be God's ambassadors in this world. And for that, we rejoice. This whole next section has to do with our devotion, corporately and individually. It's not a throwaway line. When we settle into the reality of the previous three chapters, we are set free in joy to face the opposition that is outside of this church and inside of it. It's also framed against chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul says, finally rejoice in the Lord. It's not something that he just is bringing on at the very end. In this letter, He talks about rejoice or joy 16 different times in four chapters. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. It is an imperative. You don't have a choice as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, but to rejoice. You'll know that because it's also a fruit of the Spirit. Love what? Joy, right? Paul goes on. He says, let your gentleness be known to all. Remember, we're still talking about our devotion to God through the way we live out the gospel. For Paul, gentleness is to be shown to those who oppose them outside and inside the community. 
gentleness, gentle forbearance. And then he says this, the Lord is near. It's a standalone statement. And, and, and literally, it's unclear whether or not this is an end of the previous statement or it's a, a beginning of the next. Many commentators point to Psalm 145.18 to give us an answer, which says, The Lord is near all who call upon him. And in my study, what I recognized is whether or not it sounds like this, let your gentleness be known to all, the Lord is near. Or it sounds like the Lord is near, don't be anxious about anything. (laughs) They communicate God's help for us, right? The Lord is near regardless of whatever situation you're in. The Lord is near, let me remind you, the Lord is here, right? This next section is one that actually has been probably more functional in my life than any other section in Scripture. Functional as a disciple, functional as the thing that I can do. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, that's not to say that I haven't been anxious. (laughs) That's to say that I have something to deal with my anxiety. (laughs) And there are moments where this works and moments where it doesn't, but I will tell you, I put it into play all the time. In every situation. In every situation. Pray. In every situation, pray with thanksgiving that God's already doing things. And prayer is so beautiful, y'all. I think, I think sometimes we talk about it in ways, oh, you know, we're going to pray. And we miss the power that is, is, is real in prayer. And I think prayer has this really wonderful way to speak into the light and into the darkness in our lives. It has the way to have joy and have pain all held into one. And, and, and the reality for us is that you can't have the light without the darkness, right? You can't have the rainforest without the desert. You can't have Black Panther with Eric, without Eric Killmonger. You can't know Anna without knowing Elsa, right? What I'm talking about is this understanding that prayer encompasses it all. Prayer is both things. It encompasses dark and not light. And what we know about light is that it's represented by, by hope and renewal and life and meditation and illumination, right? And darkness is represented by despair and grief and, and ignorance and the unknown. And when we go to God in prayer, we can lay all of that at God's feet and allow God to fill us with what God needs to fill us with. In every situation, pray. In every situation, petition. Now, for a long time, I was like, oh, great, pray and petition. They just go together. They're just one and the same. They're not. Paul, once again, being really specific. Petition. Petition is a legal term. Petitioner is a legal term. 
For someone who walks into a court who is the plaintiff and says, hey, I have a problem. And says to the judge, I have a problem that I need your help in fixing. And that problem may have to deal with me or it may have to do with someone else. But what I have seen is that I need the judge to bring justice into this situation. And as we as Christians walk in prayer and petition, the petition that we walk in is when we see things that are unjust in this world, we have to petition God to make them just in the way that God would do that. Prayer and petition with thanksgiving, thanksgiving that thing that allows us to release all of that to God because we are thankful that God is already moving in our prayers. And when we are thankful, when we petition, when we pray, when we set it, we're grateful, guess what happens? The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I can't tell you the amount of moments, y'all, where I've gotten to that place after a prayer Right? That be still my soul. You wait for it and God, it, it, it comes and you're like, I, I don't even understand it. Oh, wait. The peace of God comes beyond comprehension. <laughs> That's imperative one. Imperative two. I love imperative two because I can sum it up in two words. Finally, whatever. Finally, whatever. This is literally where Paul goes off script. Like he brings in stuff that he doesn't bring in in any other place in Scripture. Paul drops this list of like six whatevers. And then alongside like these two last praises, like, like literally as I was reading this these past couple weeks, I was like, Paul is like, he's ranting right now. He is in the top form. He is like, he's preaching in this space. I think he's like preaching in prison and someone's writing it out, you know? Like this is where he's at. Whatever is true. Whatever is noble. You see Paul up in prison. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy. First four. True, noble, right, pure. True, noble, right, pure. Those first four actually come out of the culture. They come out of that culture in Philippians. They actually come out of the Hellenistic culture that's there. It's a well-known kind of four-word 
thing that people are like, you know, whatever, whatever is true, that, that's how we are good people in this world. But Paul kind of is using that because of everything he said before, it turns it on his head and it says whatever is true. And the thing that is true for Paul in all of his, all of the, all of the letters that he sends, God is true and the gospel is true. That's it. God is true and the gospel is true. That is it. Whatever is noble, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is worthy, like whatever is worthy? No, whatever is worthy of respect. Whatever is right, not whatever is right and wrong. That's not what he's going after. He's saying whatever is righteous, whatever is right relationship, when you operate in a right relationship with people, whenever that happens, think about that. Then he says, whatever is pure. We're not talking about this right and wrong thing. He's saying, whatever is the thing that motivates you to glorify God. He's going back to Philippians 1.17, which, um, give me a second, says this. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for a little while while I'm in change. But what does that matter? What is your motivation? Be pure in your motivation. Those four things. And then he goes way off script. And he uses two words that aren't used anywhere else in Scripture. <laughs> whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. In the New Testament, lovely. Literally, whatever is beautiful. Whatever is beautiful, whatever that you and I could, could see as beautiful, what is love. The only other place in Scripture where it has any other connection is this word is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Esther 5.1. Esther 5.1. Since that's not on the back of your minds, and it wasn't on the back of my mind. It's the moment where Esther comes out stands before the king and is dressed immaculately. She is lovely, beautiful. Whatever is beautiful, whatever is admirable, whatever we can ad admire, that word... <laughs> Across the English translations of Scripture, there's no other word that has the varied amount of translations. We don't know how to talk about it. Whatever is admirable, whatever is, whatever is nice. Paul goes out to say all of it. When we see all of it, when we see all of these things that are so beautiful and nice and excellent, we give glory to God and we allow ourselves to remember those things. We ascribe that stuff to who God is. And sometimes we forget. So before I finish, I want to remind you, I want to remind us just a little bit that in this last year and a half, that has been so difficult. 
I want to remind us of a, of a little bit of what we have seen here at Lake Avenue Church, of the thing that has been true and noble and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent. I had my friend Steve help me put together this video. Check this out. Finally, Lake Avenue Church, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything was excellent in this last year, if anything was praiseworthy, let your mind rest on these things because what it will do will remind you that God is continuing to work in you. He is continuing to work around you. He's continuing to address the opposition that comes from outside of this church, that comes inside of this church and is walking with us in order to make us shine like stars in this world. And whatever we have learned, whatever we have seen, whatever we have received, whatever we have heard in Paul, let us practice those things. Remember, this letter is not about teaching about the content of the gospel. It's about the gospel lived out in your and my midst. Not about what is preached, but how the people preaching are living it out. And if we live out our lives like Paul lived out his life, then we will be able to take on that more and more love for people that we didn't love. We will be able to take on that understanding of the surpassing value value of what God has done for us. And we need to recognize and remember that what God has done in our midst so that when we are living this out, we can live our lives like they are gold, like they are gold, like they are gold. And when we do, we will shine like the stars and allow people to see Jesus in us. Amen and amen and amen. I wanna burn bright like a star in the night Fall, fall and surrender it all Sing a while and believe like a child 
I'm so grateful that we are continuing to open up, that we are continuing to allow ourselves to be in proximity with one another. This has been missed, y'all. 
And, there, and, 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 I, and I realize that all the pastors that are going to come up to this place are going to say that over and over again. But I will tell you what, it does not bear that we wouldn't repeat that over and over again because, because our relationships are so important, right? So as you go out of this place, Receive this word, this good word, this benediction. May the God of grace and mercy and peace and justice cause you to love more and more so that, so that you would shine, so that you would shine, so that you would shine like stars because of the surpassing value of Jesus and that you would rejoice, you would rejoice, you would rejoice. Go rejoice. Amen.